Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Welcome to the session. I'm your host, Justin Crosley. As always, bringing the beer to you and uh, ready to do it for another day with a wonderful guest, a friend of mine. I've known him. We've known each other since we were both homebrewers. I was never really a homebrewer, but ish. Um, But Julian (laughs) Schrago was a real homebrewer. Like, he was the guy back then. Um, Now a professional brewer for years at Beachwood Brewing and Blendery, too. There's that one. Um, And and soon-to-be distillery, which we're going to talk about. Um, So Julian's on the show with me today, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, Real quick, thanks to our sponsor, More Beer. They've been with us since the beginning and still with us here today. I actually homebrewed a beer with Chris Graham yesterday. We uh, homebrewed a pale ale to enter into the National Homebrew Competition. My second year ever entering into the competition, so I'm excited about that, too. Good luck on that one. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we did a West Coast uh, Pale Ale, of course. Um, of course, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna kill. So, we'll I, be- I believe it. Thank I believe you. it. <laughs> thank you for your faith, Julian. <laughs> yes. Uh, so thank you to More Beer. Go check out their YouTube page. They do Free Beer Friday and give away a bunch of stuff. And as I always tell you, you also want to check out their Comos line of products. I absolutely love it. Or you go check out what I brewed on yesterday, which was the Grainfather all-in-one homebrew system, which really almost has me thinking about buying a homebrew system again. Go check it out over at morebeer.com. Uh, all right, a couple quick announcements uh, and some things we're going to talk about today, too. First is Spring Brews Festival is back March 25th. Tickets are on sale now and prices go up on the 13th. So if you're listening right now, go to thebrewingnetwork.com and buy your tickets. You're going to save yourself a few bucks because on the 13th, uh, prices go up. That's just the charge for being a procrastinator. Sorry, don't know what to tell you. Go to thebrewingnetwork.com, get your Spring Brews Festival tickets. Also, the week before that, or the week leading up to it, the California Craft Beer Summit is happening. Julian and I will both be there. In 100%. Fact- it's going to be a really good time. And the summit is returning for the first time uh, since 2019. Finally, you know, now that we're emerging from the pandemic, uh, the time was right. And I think, you know, based on the speakers that we've lined up, all the seminars, the vendors that are going to be there, I'm confident that this is going to be the best summit that we've ever been able to pull off. I think you're right. And I've been going since the very first one. I helped mm-hmm. uh, promote and went to and did a bunch of recording at the very first summit, which was fantastic for a first year event. And yeah, it's just time to get back to these in-person things. I know that sounds silly, like we've already done it, but a lot of these events, like you said, haven't come back. This is the first time. So yeah. it, it's pretty exciting. Julian is a speaker. Um, Ken Grossman is a speaker. Uh, David Walker is a speaker there. Uh, both Natalie and 
and Vinny Chalurzo are speaking there. Uh, did I mention Ken Grossman? I can't forget Ken. Yeah, uh, I know, right? <laughs> legends, living legends there, all of them. Yeah, and uh, I'm even uh, helping to moderate a little talk with Chris White from White Labs on Tuesday. So Perfect. I'm, yeah. I'm Great. Ex- okay. Go to CaliforniaCraftBeer.com. It's March 19th through the 22nd, and you can get your tickets today. We just gave away a couple tickets on the Brewing Network Facebook page, so you might want to keep an eye out there. We might give away some more. But go to CaliforniaCraftBeer.com. Get your tickets. Uh, look, even if you're not a pro brewer, if you're even thinking about it, if you're an aspiring brewer, it's it's just the thing you need to go to. So check it out. On top of all that, please support our sponsors like Williams Brewing. Go to WilliamsBrewing.com, a small homebrew shop here in the Bay Area that does great Great work. They've been with us for well over a decade as well. Good people, and they just do good stuff down there. So check them out. Hit our sponsors page on thebrewingnetwork.com, and you can uh, thank all those folks. All right. My business is done, Julie. Now we can talk beer. Business is done. Now we can get to the real business, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, uh, let's just talk about the beer that's in my glass before we talk into that. You've sure. had some epic growth at Beachwood since I last talked to you. Um, and probably in no small part to the beer I'm drinking, which is uh, Beachwood Citraholic. Tell me about this IPA. Okay. So Citraholic um it is one of our core IPAs. It's available year round, much the same as what's in my glass, which is Amalgamator. That is our other uh, core year round, widely distributed IPA. Both of those beers combined represent about 50%, half of Beachwood's total annual production. Wow. And uh, we brew them in equal amounts. And uh, they're basically, they're more or less, they're the same beer. Oh. Uh, one is driven uh, driven by Citra, uh, the entire dry hop in Citraholic is Citra, and in Amalgamator, the entire dry hop is Mosaic. Two very different uh, flavor and aroma expressions, but really the same blueprint. Wow. So the so the base beer itself and and how it's hopped in the kettle if it's hopped in the kettle mm-hmm. some somebody's some people is. don't do okay it is, <laughs> it uh, is. some breweries don't even do that anymore. Um, that's the same beer, and then it's just a dry yeah. hop that goes different. More or less. The, okay. uh, the Whirlpool hops in Citraholic are Citra. The Whirlpool hops in uh, Amalgamator are Mosaic. But the, the like on paper, the IBUs, the malt, the water treatment, the dry hopping amounts, like everything is exactly the same. Wow. I didn't know that. They're both fantastic beers. We sell a bunch here Thank you. at, at, at Hop Grenade. Yeah. They're they're uh yeah. And the so the Citraholic, I would say, is one of my favorite IPAs to express um Citra. And Thank you. Citra has this weird thing, like you can kind of say everybody loves Citra and, and that's mostly true. But to me, there's there's some beers where Citra can actually be a little offensive. It just it can get a little strange. Um, but yours is that like perfect expression of it would convince everybody that they love Citra. It has it has all of the Citra qualities and none of the weirdness that I've tasted in some of the other beers with it. Well, that's very very kind of you to say that. Uh, we we do have the good fortune of. Uh, producing enough beer and buying enough hops that we get to do uh, hop selection, singular hop selection up uh, with our vendors in either Oregon, Washington, Idaho, depending on on the particular varietal that we're doing. But I fly to Washington every year. Hmm. Um, I hand select our Citra. I hand select our Mosaic, along with uh, some other varietals that, that drive other Beechwood beers. But that... Getting to that point where we could select our hops was such a game changer for us. It's not just Citra that goes into Citraholic. It is specifically the Beechwood Select Citra. It has exactly the aromatic qualities that I'm looking for year after year. So you're in very recently, you are not the first brewer to bring that up. A, a few brewers have come in here lately talking about how selection was like a game changer for them. Notably, uh, Ghost Town Brewing, who just won, mm-hmm. uh, you, you were there at the GABF, who won yeah, you know, Brewery of the it. Year. Um, yeah, the Justin Burt, the brewer there, came in and said, you know, being able to select our own mosaic, um, our own this, our own that, absolutely changed our beers like 100%. So... Yeah, and it, it's not just the uh, the the quality of the hops that improves, but also the potency hmm. is often something that you can select for as well. And Citraholic and Amalgamator, I think by modern standards, are not 
that heavily dry hop for a West Coast IPA. Uh, they're dry hopped at two pounds per barrel, which 10 years ago was kind of on the upper end. And nowadays, uh, for like a year-round production beer, it's probably fairly average. And for more modern West Coast IPAs, it's kind of on the lower end. But being able to select the aromatic hops that we're looking for in getting you know higher level of intensity than maybe if you don't have selection sure those hops really come through and express themselves yeah smart move and yeah it just all of that adds to the cost too or reduces the the cost by the way and i i sometimes wonder about that even at my own place here because we sell a lot of 16 ounce cans right and at you know Mm -hmm. Our IPAs from different breweries run the gamut, and I'm never I'm never mad at a brewery if I'm paying eight ninety nine for one can or, or four ninety nine for another. I understand that that's just part of the process. But with people putting in, I don't know what is it four six pounds per barrel nowadays, and hops being expensive, it's a good point you make if you can get a potent hop reduce that because your beers are super affordable. At like on my shelf for a great West Coast IPA, you're like you're right in my zone right there. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're nailing it. All right. So <laughs> the beer is fantastic. And uh, we've talked about this before, but you, you've had a production brewery now for, for going on seven years or so, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, we, mm-hmm. so all this beer comes we, out of that. And then but you still have the brewery at the Long Beach location, too, right? We do. We're yeah. technically making beer out of three locations. If you include the original brew pub in downtown Long Beach, uh, the blendery, which is our sour funky facility, also in downtown Long Beach, and then our production facility in Huntington Beach, which is where all the cans and high volume stuff comes out of. Okay. And uh, we're at maximum capacity at all of those places. Wow. The pub is kicking out uh, around 2,000 barrels a year. Um, Huntington Beach, our production facility, is probably going to edge close to. 8,500, 9,000 barrels this year. And then Blendery does anywhere from four to 500 barrels a year. It's much smaller output. Sure. Um, we've kind of reached a point where we feel that we're able to serve all the market needs. Um, but we, we kind of, we need all that capacity, especially um, the pub because that produces most of our small batch specialty beers. Okay. And even just for our own outlets, we, we need that specialty beer for variety. We got to have it. 2,000 barrels out of the pub is a lot. I've been there. I've seen that brewery. That's mm-hmm. a, That brewery's cranking to get that out. Uh, yeah, my guys my guys work really efficiently, and yeah. we have a lot of tanks there. Uh, we've got it, – it's technically rated as a 10-barrel system. Okay. Um, but we've got seven 10-barrel fermenters uh, and two 20-barrel fermenters. So we're able to do nine different types of beer at any one time. Wow. Okay. That's great. And where are you spending mm-hmm. your time? You're at the production brewery or what? Most of the time. Yeah. The, uh, my teams all around are, are, you know, very well integrated and very efficient and, uh, have a good degree of autonomy, but the production facility is very demanding and it's a very mechanical operation and the sense of immediacy and priority is, is ever present there. Like if something goes wrong at the pub and maybe we have to abandon a process for a day or two, not the biggest deal okay at the production facility if you have to abandon a process because uh like ingredients don't come in or a pump screws up or some other mechanical issue happens you gotta fix it then like i have to empty this bright tank today because i have to transfer beer into it tomorrow because if i don't empty that fermenter i can't brew the next beer in line so Things are really stacked on top of each other at the production facility. Sure. And that's where I spend most of my time. And that's where our corporate offices are. They're uh, right there in Huntington Beach. So it sounds like maybe you went from uh, creative, awesome brewer to fire putter outer guy. I guess, you know, I don't really, I essentially do none of the brewing these days. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I'm actually very proud of the fact that I'm not in the trenches anymore and that my team is so good and passionate uh, that I can pick up this beer and like, this is exactly what I want this beer to be. Nice. Yeah. And I, I didn't make this. That makes me so happy to to get results like that. But yes, um, I've got really good help all around. Um, But yeah, putting out fires. Also uh, my business partner and I, 
spearheading, you know, the, the growth of the business and the diversification of the business that, you know, a lot of that falls on us. So that keeps us pretty busy too. Well, and this is kind of a, of a perfect segue into what I've kind of been calling uh, brewing in crisis. And during the pandemic, it was the, the crisis was the pandemic and everything was, well, let's just call it what it is. Everything was fucked. And you guys were all just trying to figure things out. Um, right. But the new, well, there's several new crises, unfortunately, crises. Um, and, and a lot of that is supply chain stuff. Um, and I want to take a break real quick and come back to it. But I, I just want to tease a little bit that I read about you. I read a quote from you. This, it's been a couple months now, but you had, there's like an LA Times article about the aluminum shortage, uh, can shortage, really. And you're, I don't have your quote exactly, but it essentially was like, we spent almost our entire savings at this company stocking up on aluminum cans. Because if we didn't, yeah. we saw the writing on the wall that it was, as you've kind of just described, probably going to halt production, which is a game ender. So don't answer now. Let me take a real quick yeah. break. Yeah, and when sure. we come back, I want to know a little bit about that. And of course, all the other supply chain issues affecting, because you're a brewery in a growth phase. You are not mm-hmm. a brewery in a, in a decline by any means whatsoever. So I want to talk about that. We'll come right back with Julian Schrago right here on The Session. Welcome back to the session. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We are still talking to Julian from Beachwood, of course. And uh, before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to discuss uh, kind of brewing in crisis and 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 uh, supply shortages. So we, I started with that article with with aluminum cans, and I don't know if that's gotten any better. But did I quote you almost close? Like you guys, and you're like, we spent everything we have on these cans, or we're screwed. Uh, it, it's it's really close. So I can go ahead and tell that story. And I have to be somewhat specious about some of the parties involved. OK, yeah. but what I'll what I will say is that one of our major suppliers came to us. Uh, this was roughly a year and a half ago. And they basically said, you know, you're one of our smaller accounts, uh, if not the smallest. But you have two weeks to place your entire can order for the next year. And if you don't place that order in the next two weeks, uh, you're not work. You're not going to be able to place any orders next year. Wow. And furthermore, whatever order you place, you have to pay in full. Okay. <laughs> and so suddenly I'm like, well, shit. Um, I, I have to have these cans and yeah, I like in the long, long run, I save a ton of money by getting them printed and buying them in bulk. It's like, it's, it's huge savings. Sure. Money. It makes sense. But yeah. But um, I basically got a uh, well into the six-figure COD bill wow. for all of those cans. And, you know, we have to take those – historically, we had to take those one truckload at a time. And we, we purchased the cans. They were manufactured. And then the goalpost moved. And we got a follow-up like a month later that said, hey, surprise um, – we're not going to hold your cans in inventory anymore. We, you're going to have to pull all of your cans in like a month from now, or we start charging you a huge fee per pallet per month. Wow. And uh, furthermore, if you don't pull them by this date really soon, we're going to charge you next year's pricing for cans. And I'm like, we, we already paid for them. You said you already made them. Yeah. Uh, we got lucky though. We got really lucky. Um, we were building out, uh, our newest, uh, location, the pizzeria in Huntington beach. And that's in a strip mall. And one of the key tenants there was a, uh, like a Rite Aid pharmacy. I believe it might've been a Walgreens, but it was a pharmacy, a big pharmacy that had, um, their lease had ended and they'd moved locations and the landlord said, Hey, um, we've got this, this whole like pharmacy with a loading dock. It's vacant. You can have all your cans delivered here. And just until a new tenant moves in, you wow. guys can use the space for free. So we got really, really lucky. And that was, that allowed us to kind of build a buffer and work through a whole bunch of that can inventory before we really so started lucky. having to bring it to our warehouse. And so That's- we were able to realize all the savings on those cans as we planned. 
but it was a huge hit to my cash flow. Sure. When that vendor demanded that money. So let me ask you this. And and the article that I read was talking about a can shortage, but didn't exactly describe why there was a shortage. You telling me this story sounds like a vendor's decision making, not necessarily a shortage on aluminum. What's your take? I think no, I think it I think it was I think it was a shortage more related to manufacturing capacity. Okay. Because you know, when when the pandemic hit, you know, toilet paper went away, you know, cleaning wipes went away. All sorts of things just kind of went away really quickly because people were buying stuff up really fast. And it's not like all of those factories had tons of overhead capacity to make stuff. And the same with the can vendors. It's not like uh, a can company has, you know, equipment to make 20% more cans at, you know, the drop of a hat. Why would they? That's excess capacity that they don't need necessarily. Okay. And when the pandemic hit, everything went in the cans. And at the same time, RTDs and hard seltzer sales like started shooting way up. So like any excess capacity got immediately gobbled up. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Okay. So you say that's yeah. a year and a half ago. Is that now the norm for you? Do you? Are you having to buy all your cans and take delivery a year at a time? No. Um, so that was one of the things uh, a lot of people started freaking out when, you know, one of those major suppliers really kind of changed their, their, uh, their policies about how like minimum quantities, lead times, who they would do business with. Um, as soon as that happened, I said, wait six months. This is a huge market and a huge opportunity for somebody or several people. It's only a matter of time before some other can supplier or suppliers fill that gap. Okay. I wasn't worried about it long term. And sure enough, that's what happened. There are a lot of people who've entered the game. There is new manufacturing equipment out there now, like digitally printed cans, which are super cool. Um, and you're starting to see that now that these larger companies who kind of walked away from from small customers are now kind of regretting it. Okay. Smart, smart, smart for those yeah. new people. Yeah. So the market's market seems to have corrected itself. Everything is still getting more expensive. Yeah. But access to things, uh, at least for us, um, it wasn't that we couldn't get things. It was that we had to plan way further in advance. Okay. Like we used to be able to get wrapped cans in four weeks, and then it became eight weeks, then twelve weeks, and then sixteen weeks. I'm fine with that. There are a lot of small breweries who aren't used to making those adjustments. Sure. Yeah, it's tough. Well, being a growth brewery and you got to be smart and you got to move on your feet. What about other shortages? Is there still a I'm I'm always uh, it's just such a weird statement to me. Is there still a global CO2 shortage? And I've always again, it's manufacturing. I know you're going to say, but like I'm like, how can we be short on air? (laughs) It's just (laughs) so the thing is, most like most CO2 industrial CO2 is a byproduct of of petroleum uh, manufacturing and refinement. So, yeah, when the pandemic hit and there were way less cars on the road, the a lot of the uh, refineries slowed down production, ergo uh, CO2 production went down. But um, for us, there wasn't ever a shortage. We got lucky and our, our CO2 supplier actually gets um, CO2 from a couple different sources. Like they themselves are diversified. Okay. And I think they get most from um, petroleum refinery uh, re- refining. But I think I, I may be mistaken here, but I, I want to say they also get some from um, helium mining as well interesting okay and but our co2 supplier they never shorted us they were always it got tight sometimes but they were always able to keep us supplied okay and i know that this was a really regional problem there's some parts of the united states that really got screwed but we were okay okay yeah i read about breweries that were straight out of co2 and i just thought problems that we just never thought would occur and it's yeah and it's difficult because it's like 
really, world, one more thing? We just need one more thing to happen to us? But yeah, it's stuff we just didn't, didn't think of. What, anything else that, I, that I'm not thinking of in the supply chain uh, crisis that has affected breweries, even if it's not yours? Uh, like the ports getting backlogged and uh, worker strikes and things like that totally affected us. There was there were a whole bunch of imported malts and other things, equipment, mm, okay. uh, things yeah. that were stuck at the port of Long Beach, the port of L.A., other ports for months. Got it. Um, Look, what know, about let's, remember, let's stick on malt yeah. for a sec. Sorry, because yeah. that's you. Now you've reminded me of that. I. I've read that the war in Ukraine was going to have a massive impact on the global grain supply. Is that something that breweries are feeling? Yeah, it, 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 yes. And I'm certainly the war in Ukraine has, has affected global grain supply. I believe it's mostly wheat. I don't think okay. that it's so much brewing grade barley, but a lot of these, a lot of the people who, who kind of control those commodities trade all of them simultaneously. Right. And, uh, you know, uncertainty in, in one related market can cause uncertainty and distress in, in a parallel market. And then also in 2021, we had like one of the worst barley harvests of, I think the last hundred years, it was like 50% down from the year before. It was just fucking wow. horrible. Wow. And so that didn't help. So there are environmental factors that preceded um, the, the war in Ukraine and then the uncertainty of, of things in, the, in Ukraine. And then also it certainly a, a country that is, is, you know, going through a war is, you know, they're, they're having difficulties producing, yeah. agriculture over there as well it's it's a lot of things going together sure okay so then here's questions i don't usually ask i, I, I don't, I don't want to make it political uh and, and it's it's maybe not quite a political question but then do these crises that we're experiencing do they make an argument for local for american grown um as opposed to uh you know this is a global economy um Right. Like there's let me let me even make it smaller. There's a lot of uh, private maltsters and, and grain growers in the U.S. Their grains more expensive, but they also cater to brewers. Do you think that there's an argument because of what's happening that could be made that we really need to also focus on these local companies? Uh, you could you could make that argument if you wanted to. I, I think, you know, going that route entirely presents problems as well. Mm hmm. Um, I, I think some of those smaller maltsters are, are making fantastic products. Would they be able to scale up their processes and facilities to produce like the same amount of two row that let's just say RAR does at their right. Alex malting facility in Canada? That's a really, that's a really big ask. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you can produce things locally and get the qualities that you want out of an, a natural ingredient, Great, go for it. You can make an environmental case for that too, that you sure. don't have to transport it overseas. So yeah, you can absolutely make a make a case for it. Okay. Um, so long as the quality is there and and you're getting what you want out of it, sure. Yeah. And I'm not an anti-globalist by any means. I actually uh, I really believe in a global economy. So, but yeah. Oh, what? So those of you listening to the podcast, oh, you can't oh. you can't see, but I'm watching a delicious beer get poured. Uh, Steely so this is, Jam this is coming, is Steely Jam This is coming out uh, next week um, And uh, I know a guy Who knows a guy who pulled this off the canning line This morning Nice. So this is we're <laughs> revisiting this beer I actually have not tasted the finished beer yet Okay, but this is your first it's looking, try? It's looking nice and bright um, But yeah, this is, this is a collab that we did with Urban Roots In Sacramento We brewed it, I want to say originally two years ago And then we revisited, we, we re-brewed it Peter Hoey and, uh, up there. Great Peter brewer. Hoey. Yeah. F fantastic brewer. And, and I love what he's got going on up there at Urban Roots. All right. You taste it but, if it's your first taste while I okay. praise you on your beer names Ooh, because Steely okay. Jam is a fantastic beer name. And you have other, you have tons of good music uh, beer names that Thank I you. love. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it looks tasty. It's uh, nice and clear. Okay. Yeah. What is it? It's what? nice and nice and crispy. Okay. My, my team did a great job with this. So uh, West Coast IPA. Hmm. 
uh, Gambrinus Pilsner malt is the base. Okay. So it's super, super pale in color. It's really, really light in color. Yeah. No specialty malt at all. It's just that Gambrinus Pilsner. And then um, the bittering hop is um, HBC 682 extract. That's kind of, that's our go-to bittering extract at our production facility. And then the Whirlpool hops are uh, Strata and Mosaic Cryo. And then it gets Uh. dry hopped with Strata, Mosaic, and Mosaic Cryo. Interesting. Strata is a divisive hop around the hop grenade here. Uh, my okay. half my staff loves it when we get a strata beer in and the other half's mm-hmm. like, no, thank you. That one's a weird one. Okay. Yeah. It's, All right. it's kind of, to me, strata is a little bit, I like it by the way, but it's a little bit, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of tannic. It's like, it's a little bit woody. Do you pick that up at all from Strata? What's your take on it? it I mean, I, I think any hop can get that if, if you're getting a bad example of it. Okay. But that, again, plays in the why selection is so important. I like Strata. I think it's got some delicate um, kind of tropical fruit characteristics. We don't get any woody characteristics out of the Strata that we select. Okay. But, you know, as, as any hop gains popularity and the acreage increases – the qualities of that hop tend to kind of become divergent because new people are growing it. I see. And it, it might take a couple years before growers get enough feedback to kind of wrangle things back in to where you have much more like convergent qualities between different lots. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe strata is kind of going through that growth phase where it's got to kind of come back around and, and really have, you know, a much more narrow identity and expression. It's a popular one right now. So that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay. So you mentioned extract for your bittering. Is that, mm-hmm. is that your, across all your beers? Do you use extract as a, as a bittering hop or just this one? Almost, almost exclusively across yeah. all of our uh, West coast beers are, are pale hoppy beers. Like for the most part. Yeah. Even at the pub but certainly at our production facility. Okay. And uh, the extract that we use is super neutral. It's really clean, but it's also put into these handy little tins and it's weighed out by grams of alpha acid. So we don't have to weigh it. It's, you know, whether it's half full or three quarters full, it's the same bittering potential. Okay. So they adjust for that at the manufacturer. It's always the same amount of potential bittering. Just go. Brilliant. And because it's a bittering hop, it's not that you're looking for nothing out of it, but it doesn't have to be the fanciest, most beautiful mosaic or something. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Smart move. So it's an efficiency move. Uh, and mm-hmm. and yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right. I need another beer and I'm going to get an amalgamator. Okay. So, get it, bro. <laughs> we're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, California Craft uh, Beer mm-hmm. Summit. Um, but I also, I want to start a new segment with you where I ask random questions, Julian, about your life. I'm up for it. You're down? I'm an okay. open book. <laughs> okay, perfect. I knew this was the, you're the perfect guest to, <laughs> to start this with. All right, hang in there. You're listening to the session with Beachwood Brewing, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the session. We are still hanging out with Julian from Beachwood, and I just poured myself an amalgamator, which we keep at the Hop Grenade here quite often. Uh, Julian reminded me, okay, if you listen to the beginning of the show, uh, the Citraholic is basically the same base beer as Amalgamator, uh, but the Whirlpool hops and the dry hops are different. Citra and Citraholic, and in this one, Mosaic, right? You got it. Good memory. Is it a single hop beer then? More or less, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, functionally speaking, yeah. Mm-hmm. So extract in the boil like we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, and then Mosaic, Whirlpool, Mosaic, dry hop. Yeah. Okay. Question for you. This is probably not about this beer. We just had okay. a, we had a controversial just popped in my head. We had a controversial question on on our last show about DDH double dry hop. Yeah, does double dry hopping mean twice the dry hop in one dose, or you're dry hopping twice, as in double dry hopping? Uh, it means two different times. At least it does to me. That a boy. That's right. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) That was my take. And there was a brewer in here who was like, a very good brewer, by the way. It was like, no, we just doubled it in the one dose. And I was like, well, I can't really argue with you. But to me, when I see DDH on a a description, I think it means you dry hopped it twice. 
Yeah, yeah. That's like it's like saying, you know, I, I you have a big climax and it's like, yeah, that was two climaxes. No, it was just one <laughs> yeah. big climax. That's a great I love that. Yeah. That was a perfect description. And I'm gonna steal that from you the next time it comes up on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the distillery because sure. that you guys have been growing in the beer world and uh, mm-hmm. now you're jumping into distilling. Is it open yet? No, the location, well, I should clarify, the location is open and um, uh, my business partner Gabe and I had talked about installing uh, a still at the same space where Beachwood Blendery is right now. Okay. And uh, kind of right about the time we were ready to purchase the equipment, this opportunity fell into our lap. There was a small turnkey brewery um, and tasting room in North Long Beach in the Bixby Knowles neighborhood that was available for lease. And so we kind of jumped on that, nice. um, did a facelift on the facility and opened it up as a tap room with Beachwood beer. Okay. Uh, and uh, that was last summer. And so people have been coming in, drinking beer, all the while we've been kind of getting things ready in the back and we received, uh, we took delivery of our still, uh, a little over a month ago and we're, we're basically done with the installation now. And, uh, we're, we're just kind of waiting on some final sign offs on our licensing and then we're going to start distilling there at that location. Well, I don't know a lot about distilling, but I know that mm-hmm. our, our listeners are who, who do, what kind of still did you get? Cause there are so many different kinds, right? It, it is. It's it's primarily a, uh, a what people would consider a pot still. It's got a short column on it. It does have a separate uh, gin basket column, and then it's got its condenser stack. Okay. But um, my uh, Gabe is really in the gin. I love gin too. Gabe's really in the gin though, uh, and then I'm really into rum, and so. Uh, we figured that starting out with a small still like this would allow us to do both. And and rum can be kind of a crudely distilled beverage, which is also what gives a lot of specialty rum tons of character. Okay. So we figured a smaller still like this would, would work well for us. It's not terribly big. It's a 150-gallon still, and that can make roughly a half barrel of distillate per run. Okay. Nice. And you said you're just mm-hmm. kind of waiting on licensing. I'm always curious mm-hmm. about licensing, and I, I fear I feel like it's changed with distilling recently. You started with a, a tap room license, your your brewery license, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So just an extension of your regular brewery license, I assume. And then, pretty much, yeah. And then, do you have to add a separate license for a distillery? You you do okay. you do you have to at the state and federal level, yeah. Okay. Uh, and is it still that it has to be like kind of because you're doing it in the same building, but it has to be separated in some way. Not, not really, not the, not the way that it used to be. Okay. Um, and California has, uh, thanks to the CCBA uh, and a few other players, uh, you can you can commingle those consumption areas, and that there there's a lot less division um, that needs to take place, especially if it's identical ownership, which it is. Okay, people who own the brewery are the same people who own the distillery, which is me and my business partner. Got it. Okay, and then the only thing I understand about the economics of spirits is that mm-hmm. I made a really stupid decision not to open a bar that sells spirits <laughs> uh, because the the margins on cocktails and liquor are so much greater than beer, right? So it, is, that, uh, is it not really a volume game with a craft distillery in the same sense? It's, it's less of a volume game, but also it's it's and when it comes to output, it's also less of a volume game. Okay. So for me to make you know like uh, you know ten cases of of rum is you know it's it's a lot easier for me to make ten cases of beer. Right. Yeah. So it, it it's kind of a volume game all around, but you know I think uh, if you're if you're just a straight up hard liquor bar i forget what the saying is but i think it's like after the first 25 percent of liquor that you sell out of a bottle the rest of it is profit something like that oh yeah but um yeah so i mean the margins are different but we're we're, i mean that that's really a small factor with us we wanted to do it for a couple reasons one we're curious about doing it uh we're passionate about doing it but also it's a way for us to diversify what we do and broaden our identity. 
Okay. And, uh, you know, already being an established brand, you know, we, we hope that our fans and customers trust us to make something good and that they'll, they'll come along for the ride. Sure. Well, let's be honest too. It sounds fun. Like it sounds like a fun, it sounds like a really (laughs) fun project to do. Totally. Totally. And I'm big in the tiki. Uh, I love tiki cocktails and, and, um, it's so much fun and there's a lot of escapism with, with those sorts of drinks and, and the ambiance that a lot of tiki bars provide. And so that's why I'm really looking forward to, to doing rum and, and having a, a, a tiki cocktail program be one facet of what we do there. Heck yeah. Are you going to be the distiller? Like, is this another skill set of yours that you're diving into? Or do you guys just kind of hire someone and let's work together? We, I think it's going to be a group effort on this one because I'm certainly curious and I really want to fully understand what's going on. Um, we've got a couple, <laughs> couple staff members who are interested in, in getting into it. Uh, we may also end up hiring a distiller. We haven't quite made that decision yet, but um, I think once we're, once we're bona fide and we're, we're ready to go, um, we've got nothing to lose by, by, trying it ourselves i think the fermentation side i think we'll be we'll be good there i think we got that covered yeah uh the distillation side we're gonna we're gonna learn and have some fun okay but we're we're probably gonna we're probably gonna bring some people and help us out at first got it and what about the wash are you guys do you even Mm -hmm. care are you gonna make custom wash or is this literally runoff from the brewery because it doesn't matter this is how little i know about distilling no so, um, we're probably going to make all the wash there on site because, uh, there is a small five barrel brew house at that location and we oh, do nice. have a couple fermenters, but, um, you know, when it, when it, when it comes to the base for the gin, we, we might, we might make that there on site. Okay. Um, we might also, if we want to dabble in some types of whiskey, we can do that. But yeah, the wash for the the rum certainly will be made there. And yeah, we get to experiment with all different types of sugars, sugar combinations, different types of yeast, um, different fermentation profiles. Sure. So the wash is not an afterthought. It, 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 you will really, no, yeah. no, okay. no, no, it's definitely not. And if you taste a lot of um, what I, I would say were not mainstream rums, uh, you you would you would taste a lot of characteristics that are part of pretty funky fermentations. Okay, what about yeah. barrels for rum? Don't you have to have just like old ass beat up barrels to produce rum? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do barrel aged rum, okay. yeah, sure. But <laughs> but when it comes to a lot of uh, kind of global spirits like tequila, rum, even some scotch, it's really it's really common for those spirits to be aged and used bourbon barrels. All right. Bourbon barrels can, at least to be called bourbon, those barrels can only be used uh, once in the United States. So a lot of them end up second use uh, for tequila, rum, and even some some whiskeys from from overseas. Okay. But we actually want to we want to focus on white spirits uh, at the beginning, being gin, and then a lot of my favorite rums are these really cool, funky, obscure white rums okay. where there isn't a barrel characteristic where you're tasting um, kind of a cruder distillation and a really funky fermentation. Got it. And my studio lights just died on me. Yeah, man. It's like, it's like what, a, like you've been uh, anonymized <laughs> in one of those like 48 hours specials. Yeah. Okay. Let's now see. you've come back. I'm back. I've like, <laughs> I might cut this out. I've automated everything in my studio and sometimes the robots fuck with me. Um, okay. There we go. The machines are taking over. The machines are. T- oh, dude. I just did an interview about um, AI beer. And uh, I'm not going to ask your take on it on this show, but in a future episode, <laughs> I may bring you in to ask you about how, what you think the role of AI might be in creating beer. So we'll, we'll find out, man. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just uh, we just uh, we've been we've been fucking around with that a little bit recently. And we, nice. we've got a new beer uh, that that's slated to come out in August where the name was generated by AI. OK, but it's 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 funny stuff for sure. Love it. Oh, the robots are still messing with me. Oh, yeah. All right, there we go. Um, okay, I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, California Craft Brewers Conference. What's yeah, your? Let's do it. What's your? What's your talk on? What's your session? 
Uh, I'm speaking on a panel on uh, self-distribution. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, and why I think that's a really valuable tool for all small breweries. And it's it's a privilege that very few states actually have. Um, and, and how that's a tool for, for growth, controlling profits, and ultimately uh, graduating to, uh, you know, a fully distributed brand with a, with a true wholesaler. So, so that's I'm on, the, I'm on that panel. And, and that was my, when I read it, I was like, well, well, why is Julian just talking about self-distribution? Because I, he doesn't self-distribute to me, but that's the point. Like that's, if you don't understand doing it yourself, you're maybe not ready to sign with a, with a distributor. Is that kind of your, your theory? That's certainly, that's certainly part of it. I don't want to give away the, the whole seminar, sure, but what yeah. I will say is that Beachwood was, uh, self-distributed brewery for its first seven years of existence. Wow. And not only did that help us to grow because we were able to retain those margins, but it taught us a lot about the industry itself. So when we finally did uh, sign with uh, a large distributor, which our main distributor in Southern California is Stone, okay. when we finally did sign with them, we weren't freshmen. We, we, knew, we knew how that business end was managed. Brilliant. So it's been a, a really, a really, it was a good, easy transition. They've done really well by us. Um, but we already understood a lot of how their business operated and how we thought it should and needed to operate. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And you are on yeah. the board at the, at the California Craft Brewers Association. I am. Uh, it's really an honor and a privilege to, to be on the board of the CCBA. And uh, I, I get to work with some amazing people that I've seen measurably make a difference uh, the entire time I've been in this industry. And I never wanted to be a passive beneficiary of you know other people's good efforts and, and, and hard work. And so being able to, to be on the board is is really an honor and it's it's a chance to get back to the entire community because I've gotten so much out of this. It's not mm-hmm. didn't seem right for me to just sit back and, and take and take. I wanted to I wanted to give back. I did the same years ago when I joined the American Homebrewers Association Governing Committee, which mm-hmm. was recommended. Someone nominated me, and I thought, God, you don't want me on this board. And th- being around those people, and I-, I really learned so much. And it's a, you do yeah. get to see a different side of of your industry. Like like you said, don't just take it for granted, and don't just take. There's a whole other side of people doing so that we can exist including like my retail establishment so totally yeah. totally yeah and you're great on the board too i mean you're a smart guy julian i mean you like to play dumb like i do but you're a smart dude yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> so speaking of playing dumb then oh by the way go to californiacraftbeer.com and get your tickets to the summit right now um you already missed out on the early bird pricing because you didn't listen to me but listen to me now and get your tickets before they sell out it's march 19th through the 22nd californiacraftbeer.com um julian and i will be there and a bunch of other uh, amazing speakers and there's a lot of social hours too like part of the summit all of these the great american beer festival the the uh, the craft brewers conference the the summit most of it is actually about networking and talking with your peers and getting to learn about what they're doing if you have a chance to run into julian tap him on the shoulder he's a nice person everybody in that room really is um so the seminars are amazing like go look at the speaker list but also just go to go to mingle because it's it's important if you want to be in this industry so agreed all right, you ready for my As new... As they say, yeah. it's, not, it's not who you are, it's who you know, right? Dude, that's I built my whole career on that. I just went and, <laughs> I, I, I went and hung out at beer festivals for five years to build the Brewing Network. That's all I did. <laughs> you know that. Word. I saw you at most of them. <laughs> I know. I was there. Yeah. Testament. <laughs> all right. My new segment. It doesn't have a name, but... Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I've been doing this show for 18 years, man. Fuck, has it been that long? <laughs> it's in June. It's going to be my 18th anniversary. Uh, wow. And we've known each other, I think, for pretty much as long. Yep, I think so. Almost. I think we probably met uh, maybe my first year at the at the SoCal Homebrew. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Wow. Whatever that was. Um, 
Yeah, in San Diego, uh, which is when the ho- where the Homebrewers Conference is this year. I hope you're going to be around. Mm-hmm. If not, I'll probably just stop yeah. in on you anyway. Um, okay. That'll be my 18th, the Brewing Network's 18th anniversary. And what I'm getting at is, is in that time, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say, I, it does get a little boring for me sometimes to only have to ask about beer. So I've yeah. created this segment to get to know you better uh, and get to know whoever I'm interviewing better and so that I don't just have to ask about beer. Okay. Are you ready? Good. I'm ready. The first questions I have for you, I call guilty pleasure questions. Okay. And of course, you understand the guilty pleasure, right? That it's embarrassing that you like it, right? Just want to make sure you know. Very few things embarrass me, so (laughs) let's do this. And they're not hard. I mean, I'm not. We're not like uh, breaking any records here. Uh, (laughs) But you're you're a musician. I know this about Uh you. Uh, My listeners mostly know this about you. Okay, but I want to know, and it has to be a current. Like it can't be like from back in time, some cool fucking band. All right, your favorite current. (laughs) Guilty pleasure, musician, band, or song? Uh, my f- a current favorite guilty pleasure, and I don't even think this is a guilty pleasure because they're fucking awesome. Okay. Um, especially the lead singer, I think, is the heavy metal singer to lead us into the future. Okay. And it's a Finnish power metal group called Battle Beast. I know and these guys. Th- you know, <laughs> holy shit, you're cooler than I thought. Okay. Yeah. So they have one, they all play together incredibly well, but their singer is this, uh, this woman named uh, Nora Luhimo, who has an amazing range, crazy, powerful voice. And just, I remember the first time, uh, like one of their songs got piped into Spotify. You know how you, you reach the end of an album and it just starts yeah. piping in it's music. It's my favorite it's part. similar. Yeah. And then I was like, what the, who the fuck is this? Holy shit. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was battle beast. That is battle beast. So hell yeah, really into him. And Uh, I think that, you know, that she is the, she is going to lead the charge for heavy metal singers in the future. I think, I think you might be right. Okay. I'm going to give you on that one. I'm not going to do this for every question. I don't think, but on this one, (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to give you my guilty pleasure. Yeah. Because I think you're either I I don't know if you're gonna love it or hate it. Um, the darkness is my guilty pleasure. Oh, the, okay. Uh, Justin Hawkins group, yeah. Yes, and uh, everyone's like the darkness. They're terror. They're they're almost they're almost like glam metal again. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit, yeah. But better than any glam band that ever, like better musicians than any glam band that ever existed. That's my guilty pleasure. Do you do you watch uh, Justin Hawkins' uh, podcast? No, I didn't know he has one. He's got one. He that guy has plenty of opinions. Okay. Oh, it, okay. <laughs> the way you say that. All right, I'll go check it out. <laughs> I'll go check it sure. out. Sure. I just yeah. the first time I've never seen them live, but I saw like a live concert, and I was like, these guys are ridiculous. And in a in a and I mean that by definition, they're actually ridiculous, but they're great yeah. musicians. On top of sure. that, so. oh yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. This one is a beer question, even though I said I wouldn't ask about beer. What's okay. your? Do you have a current or even past favorite guilty pleasure beer? Um, probably. Uh, I, I would say a lot of different I, American macro lagers. Sure, that's right. Like mine would like. And it's, again, like you said with your band, it's, I don't even think it's a guilty pleasure. I'll drink a Modelo any day. I love a good Modelo, a nice cold Modelo. So that would I be like mine. People might get mad if I name names, but... Oh, they will? Um, okay, that's like, fine. Yeah, they might, they might. I don't really give a shit, but I've learned so much about uh, brewing lagers from macro breweries, and we've incorporated so many of those techniques and chemistry into um, like our year-round a Japanese style lager called Hayabusa. Yeah. So I've learned a lot from them and uh, I, I know I have no problem drinking those types of beers. So guilty pleasure beer for me. Yeah. Okay. So you can be no, you're not like embarrassed to be caught on a beach with any macro beer that you love. It's fine. Uh, you wouldn't catch me in the beach. You might catch me in the mountains drinking one of those, but yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> and you know what, when I was in, uh, when I was in uh, Minneapolis for the CBC, uh, I drank a whole lot of Grain Belt lager when I was out there. Okay, nice. 
Gotta get the green belt. There we go. There we go. All right. Okay, I'm done with the guilty pleasure questions. Now it's just some random questions about you. Okay. All right, I know you're into metal. I know you're into trail running. Your trail running is ridiculous, by the way. Like your Instagram when you're on top of a mountain makes my, (laughs) like I can't breathe sometimes. But what are you super into that nobody like really knows about? Like, are you a Legos guy? Like, do you have a do you have a weird little hobby or interest Ooh. that that's like that? I, but people don't know. Um, it would probably so, yeah. Legos. I mean, to a degree, I actually just did this uh, Lamborghini Lego set that my parents got me for my birthday several years ago. I finally got around to it. It took me all Amazing. weekend to put together, and I was drinking cocktails when I was putting it together. And you loved it. I don't know um, why I called Legos, but <laughs> awesome. I, well, I love Legos. I wouldn't yeah. have gotten into, so I was always kind of like a tech. I was always very technically curious mm-hmm. about machinery when I was a kid <laughs> and Legos were the toy that, that definitely clicked with me. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was about five years old, I really got into them and Legos are certainly responsible for, a lot of the trajectory of my life, especially going into the sciences and then engineering and then brewing. Ultimately, I, you can trace that back to my first Lego set. Okay. So a lot of people might not know that about me, but um, when it comes to passions and and hobbies, yeah, I, I think people know that I'm, I'm into music, but it's not something that, that people see a lot of from me i mean yeah they occasionally might see something that i post online uh you see a lot more trail running but i think um music and guitar playing it's something that i've been doing for i've been doing i've been playing guitar for almost 40 years wow amazing yeah so you're into okay all right um and by the way you can skip any of these i'm not trying to put anyone on the spot here i didn't i I specifically don't give guests these or i'm not going to give guests these questions in advance i don't i don't want that but i'm not trying to stump anybody either so you can always just Mm -hmm. pass pass um okay before you discovered brewing yeah and besides being a rock star what was your dream profession uh, it was engineering. It really was. Okay. Uh, um, I was, I, I still to this date, uh, I was, I was an engineer for longer than I've been a professional brewer and that crossover will happen in, uh, May of this year. Yeah. I will May 17th. I will officially become a brewer for longer than I've been an engineer. Okay. But engineering for me, it, it, it really touched on my sensibilities. It made, uh, it was the perfect marriage of, of art and science and somebody wanted to pay me for it and I enjoyed it and I felt, I felt good about what I did and I felt like I was productive and, and contributed. And, you know, I, I, you know, when I was an engineer, I missed those days, but I, I left my work at work. I didn't bring it home with me. And, and right. like there was a clear severance when I, when I went home at the end of the day. Okay. You know, it was so. That makes sense. Um, yeah. It's comforting. Okay. If you could retire wealthy tomorrow, mm-hmm. where would you live? Sedona or oh. maybe like Missoula. Really? Oh, I love, yeah. see, I love this segment already. These are not things I would, I would have <laughs> thought you'd have been like, oh man, I love Long Beach. I'm just going to stay here, which would have bored me to death. So I'm so glad you said something give different. Give me mountains, give me trails, give me the outdoors. That's, okay. that's really what I want access to. That totally makes sense. Do yeah. you go spend some time out there as much as you can or what? Uh, I, I wish. Oh, yeah. um, my wife and I did take a trip to Sedona a couple years ago. And it was completely her idea. And I'd never been to Sedona. And, and we drove there from, we were living in Long Beach at the time. But I remember we came around the road and then suddenly everything opened up to these canyon lands and these apricot colored bluffs. And I just said, holy shit. Yeah. This is one of the most beautiful places that I've seen. Nice. And um, really charming town. Okay. Uh, lots of outdoor activities and just beyond gorgeous. Love it. So, I mean, do I get to those places? Not often enough. I, I, I wish I did. And so I'm, I'm kind of a daydreamer in, in that respect, you know, where I go on the, uh, I go on realtor.com and look at houses and like, Oh "Oh my God, could I, could I afford something out here? And, and I daydream a lot. But if, if I actually, if I could retire something like that. 
God, you're all right. You're making this segment a hit already, Julian. Thank you. <laughs> all right, here's one. And don't think too much about it. Who's the best metal band of all time? Oh, shit. I, I, that's such a subjective question. You can say, um, this is who I think is the best metal band right now, like at this moment, but I might change my mind. That way no one holds you to it. Shit, who is the best metal band of all time? It, it's really hard to say. And and the thing is, I, I could make that statement, and it, and it might not be somebody's music that I listen to all the time. But when you think about heavy metal music, like really hard heavy metal music, mm-hmm. the only band that's really kind of gone global with that is Metallica. Yeah. And okay. they're they're a Bay Area group. They are I grew up in the Bay Area in the cradle of thrash metal, mm-hmm. I like to call it. So Testament, Exodus, Forbidden, uh Death Angel, Heathen, uh, and then Metallica would be the the most successful group from that area. Okay. But yeah, that's I'd a good answer. Probably Metallica. <laughs> All right. Is Motley Crue metal or glam? Uh, I, I mean, they're part of them as glam and I, I parts of their career have been much more hard rock than anything else. I consider them a hard rock group with glam elements, but I mean, Motley Crue, I, I love those guys. I They're know the you reason, do. Yeah, like, so do I. Them and Buck, them and Buck Cherry are the reason why I got a whole bunch of tattoos. Blame those guys. <laughs> Dude, Buck Cherry is the worst, most amazing band ever. I love them. They're fucking amazing, <laughs> dude. I saw them at the Coach House a couple months ago. Oh, nice. Josh Todd. Josh Todd got up on stage, and he just like immediately. The guy is electric, and you can't take your eyes off of him. And they were yeah. they were so good, and just like. It just they were a magnet for everybody's attention. You're like, this is awesome. Anyway, if you don't text me the next time there's a Buck Cherry show that you're going to and invite me, I'm going to be so pissed off, Julian. I'll let you know they're an yeah. LA band, so exactly. They play yeah. down here often enough, yeah. dude. I'll go there in a second. <laughs> mm. All right, this one's a Noted. little this one's a little cheesy. It's my last one, but I still think it's a good okay. one. Why not? Um, all right, if you could be any other person for one day, who would you be? I don't know if uh, who who would I be specifically. I I'd, I'd love to be somebody who is multilingual. Okay, yeah, that's a great. So answer. I don't I don't know that I I don't know that I I pick anybody specifically, but you know I, I I thought about this hypothetically. If there were a magic genie that can grant you any wish, what would it be? And I would love to be able to speak and understand every language on planet Earth. So if I could be somebody who is truly multilingual that's who i'd want to be okay that's a good answer and that's kind of where i was going with this question was like yeah i did want to oh if you could just have one superpower if you could have one thing i just (laughs) but really like to think because we all have people we look up to also right Mm -hmm. like i'm like Mm -hmm. uh like i don't know i actually wouldn't have been able to answer that question i really wouldn't but what i would be able to say is something like um yeah, I, I'd want to be something who does something better for the world than I do. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to just teach people to drink beer for a day. I want to do something like, uh, yeah, something like that. So, But he, sure. understanding multiple languages, that's a great answer. Absolutely. Wow. So you don't know, do you know any other languages at all? You, you, come on, you're a, a, you're a Californian, a little bit of Spanish? I I, I wish I wish I'd taken Spanish when I was growing up. I made the mistake of taking German. Oh, right. And okay. the yeah. thing is, anybody who's, you know, 50 years or younger who grows up in a German speaking country, which really there are three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're all totally fluent in English. <laughs> right, so, exactly. yeah, I, I really wish I'd, I'd taken Spanish. Yeah. Uh, it's such a useful language, such a beautiful language. Totally. And it, it, it would have been really useful for me. But Listen, I'm worse. I did, one up. I did take Spanish and I still fucked it up. I don't know. it. Yeah, I probably know more German <laughs> than I know Spanish. So, OK, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I dated Daniela for years. Right. So you remember. Uh, so oh, I, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was my that was my German speaking uh, education. That's right. Right there. That's right. Yeah. 
All right, Julian, that's all. I won't bug you anymore. I'm not, that's that's as deep as I... Pr- I'm, not, I'm not like some like groundbreaking journalist here. I just wanted a few questions about your life. So thanks for participating. No, you're, you're fantastic, man. <laughs> I, I, I love uh, love what, we going on, what we've got going on here, and, and I appreciate you bringing me on the show. Dude, it's, it's always fun, fun to have you. Um, whenever you're in town, just let me know. Uh, I don't care if it's a if it's a, a Wednesday or a whatever. I will come in the studio. We'll do a show. We'll hang out anytime. It's just you're always Beautiful. a, always a pleasure to talk. So to that'll you. be my excuse next time I go visit my parents and uh, and I've I've had enough of my mother. Be Hell like, yeah. hey, I got to go. I've got that interview, and then I'll be like, Justin. You got to back me up on this one. Let's do an interview. Done. <laughs> Give me like six hours notice. Okay. That's all I need. Yeah. Cool. All right. Perfect. <laughs> all right. It's uh, Julian Schrago with uh, Beachwood Brewing. You can go to beachwoodbrewing.com and learn more about everything we talked about, including all the locations are listed there. You got a great website, by the way. So you can go there, um, uh, read about them on the about page because the story is interesting. Um, I liked reading it because it's like, oh, yeah, our uh, your, your, your business partners like our our friend julian who was like a really good home brewer and i'm like yeah i remember that (laughs) (laughs) so uh go to uh beachwoodbrewing.com you can learn about all the locations when's the when do you think the distillery is going to uh put out your your first spirit my hope is sometime in in q2 okay so this year yeah Love it. Yeah. All right. I'll come check that out, and you should too. Beachwoodbrewing.com. Also, as we said, go to CaliforniaCraftBeer.com and get your uh, tickets for the California Craft Beer Summit. Julie and I will be there hanging out, and we'd like to hang out with you too. So uh, come see us. And yeah, it's going to be a good time. All right. Julian, thank you again for spending this time with me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Justin. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Go to thebrewingnetwork.com. Get your tickets for Spring Brews Festival. It's right after the California Craft Beer Summit. Tickets are cheap right now, but they go up on March 13th. That's the procrastination charge. Don't do it. Get your tickets right now. We also have VIP tickets to the Hop Grenade pre-party, so you might want to check that out, too. Next week, I've got Adair from Sante Adarius on the program, so I'm super excited about that. I've only had her on the show once, Julian, and it was like a collaboration with a bunch of other brewers. I'm stoked to just get to talk to Adair. She's an amazing person. I get to work with her on the CCBA board, and she's awesome. She's so cool, and they make such good beer, and we're going to have their beer on tap uh, here at uh, the Hop Grenade. So look forward to that. And then uh, after that, I've got Trillium on the show, a very popular brewery out in the East. So we'll be talking to JC from Trillium, too. All right, folks, thanks for hanging out with us. Thank you to Julian. Once again, go to beachwoodbrewing.com and check it out over there. And uh, take care of yourselves and your beer. The Session is a production of The Brewing Network and brought to you by More Beer. Check them out at morebeer.com. Find more content and live video of this show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brewingnetwork. For sponsorship opportunities and information, please reach out to advertising at thebrewingnetwork.com. To reach our hosts, contact feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com.